Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Surf and Sales podcast with Richard Harris, my good friend. I'm Scott Lees. We're joined today by Nick Caselli, the director of sales from Sendoso. Sendoso has been uh, one of our favorite companies for the last couple years. We're big fans and, and supporters, and they've been a part of Surf and Sales a few times. What's that? They've sponsored what two or three times, yeah, I think. Two, two or three times sponsor for sure. So first of all, thank you for that. We appreciate it. We would not be doing this podcast. We wouldn't be doing surf and sales. Genuinely, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't have folks like you guys. So thank you very much. No, no. So uh, Nick, welcome to the show, man. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Uh, excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. How uh, how are you adjusting working from uh, from home? I know you're a big in office, <laughs> in office energy guy. I, I am. I, I definitely miss the energy. And, uh, you know, sadly, I, I don't have my podcast time in the morning anymore. So I was thinking I might just start having to walk around my house for 30 minutes so I can listen to surf and sales every morning here. Yeah. So you got a, You got a dog. Take take the dog for a long time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's a, unfortunately, a dog is like 10 at this point. And I can uh, barely get her to the end of the driveway. So I might <laughs> oh, just, you know, stick on a skateboard. Uh, it's my parents' golden retriever here. Oh, nice. Name? Uh, her name is KB. It's actually the uh, it's place in Miami where we grew up. Okay. It's called Key Biscayne. So that's a little. I know. Key, I know Key Biscayne. Yeah. Uh, big, there you uh, go. Big big tennis tournament out there every year. Yeah. Yeah. There is. It was the it was the Nasdaq when I lived there. I forget what it's called now. Yeah. So how old so, were you when you got the dog? Just out of curiosity, how old were you? I was seventeen. You were seventeen, and so were you out of the house at that point, pretty much, or no? Yeah, I was. I was just starting to get out of the house. This is probably the most time I've actually spent with this dog uh, consecutively. <laughs> so we're bonding. Good. You did. So you grew up in in, in Florida. So tell us, tell us, uh, kind of your origin story into into sales. You know, were you yeah selling uh, at an early age, or did you stumble into the field? Give us so, uh, give us a lowdown. Yeah, so I, I like to think I got a lot of sort of sales by osmosis growing up. Yeah, my dad was in sales for forever. And as part of that, we, we moved around a couple times. So he was uh, pretty early on at EMC, which you guys will know oh, and a lot of yeah, the younger yeah. listeners won't. <laughs> uh, so I moved, uh, was born in Boston, moved to Paris when I was six years old because he was doing some EMEA sales and then moved to Miami when I was eight and he was doing uh, LATAM. So was that, it was in Miami up until really kind of eight to 18 there. So pretty formidable years. And then uh, went back to Boston, to go to college uh, at Boston college. Um, so I got into sales totally by accident. Uh, really was kind of that college kid with no idea what he wanted to do. Knew I loved kind of talking to people, knew I loved, you know, getting out there and, and kind of having conversations, but didn't know really how to apply that. Uh, so long story short, fell into um, really startups before I fell into sales. And was just kind of sitting around with a few buddies one night, um, junior year, and we heard about this thing called the Boston College Venture Competition. And we were like, all right, that sounds like a lot of fun. You know, we can come up with an idea. If this really kind of goes the distance, we get you know $20,000 to work on it for the summer. And that sounded what, a lot. What were you studying at that point? By your junior year, what, was your, what had you decided was your major? Yeah, uh, so I was, I was in the School of Business and I was a marketing major because finance sounded hard. Dude, that was me. Like I didn't do <laughs> finance or econ. I just got a general business degree. So I, I feel your pain. Yeah. So I was, I was doing that. Wasn't necessarily passionate about marketing. And I mean, it's funny because I don't know how many of those marketing courses are even relevant. And I sell to marketing now. 
but it's like, I think I did a whole course on survey design. I don't think I've ever had to design a survey, but uh, anyway, I um, was, was having fun with, uh, with kind of the idea of starting something with a friend of mine. And so we, we basically decided that, and we thought if we won $20,000, it'd be more fun to work on a startup than to go get jobs for the summer. So, <laughs> so we're like, all right, let's see what we got. And uh, we Just basically, as, yep. as a junior, and you're like, wow, 20 grand. Do you go like, wow, that's like so much money? Or are you like, eh, you know, it's 20 grand. Oh, we, we were going to split it three ways and it still was going to be like so much money. <laughs> and we were like, we could pay our rent for the summer. We could pay for food and we could pay for beer for the summer. Right. I mean, that would be, that was like the dream at that. That was like an IPO. Even included in that. You didn't even know what taxes were at that point, right? Oh, no. Yeah. That, I, I actually think that when that tax bill did come, we were like, what's this? <laughs> so that, was, that was actually a rude awakening. <laughs> who's this FICO and why am I having to pay him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I threw it away. I was like, no, I'm a student. That's not for me. <laughs> um, so, so long story short, we, we basically uh, decided that the college application process was pr pr like screwed up. It's actually the way that you guys would apply to college. If you applied to college, um, Scott, you didn't go to college, did you? Yes, I did. Oh, you did go to college. Okay. I don't yeah. know. I made that up. <laughs> I made that up. I totally I went, made that up. I went to I went to college for four years. You went to Arizona. I went to grad school at Arizona State. Oh, okay. Richard went to uh, U of A. That oh, there is hilarious, is. Scott. You didn't go to college. Yeah, you? you didn't go that's to college. I think that's like a that's like a badge of honor. Yeah, right. that's I'll better. He's redeeming yeah. himself. Now. Go with it. It's better <laughs> if you didn't. That might be the quote. That might be the episode of the episode title. Scott, yeah. you didn't go to college, did you? Yeah, you didn't go to college. Did you? you didn't go to college. You went to ASU. <laughs> that, would be, that would make sense <laughs> yeah um so, so anyway as you guys know because you did go to college uh the application process sucks it's that piece of paper same thing so we were like all right what if kids could do this online we make it more like linkedin than the common app you know whatever and, and what, uh what year was this just to give context for folks this would have been 2013 yeah so we're like, all right, that sounds like fun. And kind of long story short, ran with it, um, ended up winning, got to work on it for the summer and just fell in love with the startup thing. And when push came to shove, we realized that it wasn't really an idea we were excited enough to work on for 10 years. I think this was a right around the time social network came out. So we had in our minds that this was going to blow up and we were going to be rich within a year. Yeah. And then a mentor was basically like, guys, best case here is you're working on it for 10 years. That's best case. And that kind of scared us out of it. Yeah. So we bailed on that, um, but kind of took with us the passion for, for startups. And I, when I was kind of thinking about what I loved about working on that, it was really the working with the prospective customers, understanding kind of what they liked, what they didn't like, what their challenges were, how we could solve them. Um, so for, so folk, for folks who don't know about Sendoso, can you, Give them a quick uh, spiel on, on what it is you guys do and, and what that sale is like and the, the sales cycle and the average contract value and all this kind of kind of thing. Yeah. So, so Sendoso helps you make more, more human connections with your prospects, customers, employees. Um, we do that by streamlining the process of sending just about anything you could think of uh, to those people. So that could be, you know, welcome kit to an employee that could be coffee gift card to someone you're trying to get on the phone. 
um, just about anything in between there. You guys, so, you know, you guys even stepped up with us for serpent sales and you made these really cool. I don't, Scott, do you have one around? I don't have one. These really cool surf surfboard wax cones yep. that also had our logo branded on it, this little logo with the three surfboards. So it's pretty cool um, what you guys can do. So it's not like just for people who are listening and might be interested, it doesn't have to be traditional stuff. Like you can get really creative, really customized, which personalization matters. So I think that's, I think that's super cool. Yeah. Personalization absolutely does matter here. And, and we're really taking a space where it, the funny part is you'll talk to, you know, we talked to a lot of big companies and they'll look at it and say, Oh, you, you know, you guys are a direct mail company. We've been doing that stuff forever. Right. And then there's the startups who say our email response rates are plummeting. We can't get people on the phone as effectively. We really want to try this whole like sending stuff thing. So there's sort of two halves of the market where uh, there's the, the startups that are like, okay, this makes sense. Then there's if you talk to any big company. They've been doing this stuff forever and they stink at tracking it. So it's an interesting, uh, we got kind of challenges on both sides there and an opportunity on both sides, but it's been, it's been a ton of fun. Um, I joined actually two and a half years ago as the first sales rep. So the CEO and founder. You were the, you were the original sales rep. I was. Yeah. Wow. Third, what's, third what's that, employee. What's that like? there's, there's, I'm sure there's people out there who, um, you know, maybe are the first sales rep at a, at a company right now, or, you know, might have an offer and have thought about being the first sales rep. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges and the opportunity, um, you know, that comes along with being the, the first sales hire in a, in a company? Yeah. So for me, I always say, I think the smaller that you're evaluating a company, the more you have to look at the team. And for me with Sendoso, I mean, if you're looking at any company that's, you know, a couple hundred thousand in, in revenue and, and three people sitting in a room, you've got to really like those people and you've got to be ready to basically go to war with that team and, and realize that even if it goes well, it's going to be incredibly hard. And that's best, like best case, it's really hard. So you've got to be excited to kind of work with that team and realize that you're going to have challenges that you have to work on and overcome because it's really hard to look at any company that size and truly pick a winner. I mean, VCs do this right for a living and they're wrong 90% of the time or something like that. So you're probably not going to be right at a higher percent than, than a VC and you don't get to make 20, 30 bets. You, you get one if it's your job. What did, what did you look for, right? As you were going into that role, because I've had this happen and it's, it's you know, not been successful for me um, and I own my piece of that. But what were the things that you looked for to say, okay, these, I like these types of founders. I like this company. Like, how did you, how did you know it was going to be a good fit for you or what, what indicated it was going to be a, a good fit for you? Not necessarily knowing it. Yeah. So for me, it was two factors. One was the, the CEO, Chris was a guy that I'd worked with previously. So actually taking a step back, even between college and, and Sendo. So I joined a company called TalkDesk and I was the first uh, SDR that was hired out of San Francisco. There was already a team in Portland. And my kind of first day I go into the office, we have this beautiful 12th floor in downtown San Francisco, just raised 20 million. There's five AEs sitting in the room. Um, the office is maybe 10% full because they just signed the lease. And I sit down at a desk with these five AEs, no idea what I'm doing. One of them's Chris Rudegrap. Guy I get to know obviously very well over the next two years they're working there. And he at some point leaves to go work on some coffee sending startup that no one really understood. So when Chris reached out to me 
a couple months later to say, this is kind of working out. Do you want to come, you know, do this with us? Uh, the, the biggest thing that was pushing me toward a yes was working with Chris because he was someone that anyone who's ever worked with him could, would tell you. I mean, Chris just kind of gets shit done. But what's that? Yeah, talk about that. What's, what are the things about Chris aside from the fact that you'd known him and you'd worked with him, right? So that meant there's some rapport and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, get shit done. I get it. But like, what does that mean? Like give people ideas of like, Hey, I think I'm going to go be a first time salesperson. Here's what I should pay attention to when I look at that founder. Well, your founder needs to understand sales, right? Or, or at least express a, a strong desire to provide you the autonomy to do that. But there's so That's many. There's unicorn. So many, yeah, you're a <laughs> unicorn. There's so yeah. many startups that don't have that. Totally. Right? And, and I think that's a huge, I mean, if, so I would say you need to either understand sales or you need to be, I, if you're looking at that founder, they need to either understand sales or. Or stay the hell out of the way. Be incredibly self-aware. Yes, Scott, yeah. to that point, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's one of Chris's strong suits. He understands sales, but I've actually been impressed with how much he lets um, the sales team, which, you know, initially that was kind of me. Now we have a great CRO, uh, Sam East, and he does a great job of letting the sales team operate, even though he much, does know sales. How much, how much of the, the early work was you putting together like the sales process and the, and the pitch and strategy versus you just executing? I think, because I think one of the things that, uh, is interesting with first sales hires is, you know, I think it's very difficult for a lot of them to kind of look at it with like director VP level eyes versus just picking up the phone. Um, so how, how much of that were you, were you doing um, in the role with, with Sendoso versus just picking up the phone and, and off you go because maybe Chris or somebody else had said, here's the process that I want you to follow. What was the balance there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was 100% operating as, as account executive number one, plus, you know, SDR, basically. I mean, Chris is great at doing some hacky stuff and there's probably a whole funny story there, but we had a bunch of fake people that on LinkedIn worked at Sendoso and Chris had some bots that were out, you know, ping in. And so I got some meetings that were flowing in and my calendar was full, but I was just executing, right? I was operating as an AE and I was testing messaging, testing price points, testing demo flow. Should this first call be 15, then 45? Do we want to do 30 minutes each time? What is our, what does our sales process look like? And just kind of iterating on the fly to try to hone in on what was getting deals across the line. Um, did you know, I think, all those, but did you that, know that's one thing that on your own, Nick, did you know to do all those things on your own or was somebody guiding you saying, Hey, let's test the length of these calls and this messaging. I think a lot of it was organic. I was really lucky to be working also alongside um, Braden Young, who's the other co-founder of Sendoso and also has a sales background. So it was really sort of the two of us in the trenches with a lot of this. And he understood um, just in kind of founding it with Chris, had a lot of context in terms of like what uh, we could do, what the market looked like and, and a lot of the background, what competitors in the space were like. And then I think I brought a little bit more of that kind of um, the sales process and sales cycle experience coming from talk desk where it was like, okay, we need to put, I remember the first time I jumped on a call with Braden and actually taking a step back here. One thing I'd advise to anyone who wants to go be a first sales hire, even second or third, I basically said, okay, Chris, I'm in, but I, I want to come work with you guys for a day mm. and just sat with them, shadowed all any calls that they had that day. Like, like a one day internship. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to, I want to come work for a day. I'm, I'm in, but you know, let, let me, let, let's make sure that I don't drive you guys crazy and let me make sure that I can have these conversations. 
Um, and so that was hugely valuable to do. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to iterate live. What was that? That's probably Richard dealing with his kids in the background. Yeah. (laughs) I thought you were, I thought you were pointing at the surf and sale sign behind you. I was like, I was like in surf and sales. Get out. So (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to work servant sales in this combo, but servant sales. How did you how did you navigate the the transition from <clears throat> from account executive to sales leadership? What was the what were the things that were easy for you to pick up, and and what's been the hardest uh, bits to pick up? Yeah, um, I I was thrown into it you know pretty by accident I, I'd say or or kind of um, it it was out of necessity. It was kind of a point where we needed someone to step into that for the business. This was at the start of Q3 last year, probably nine months ago. Um, and we just kind of need, needed some sales leadership and needed the tribal knowledge to be sort of spread a little bit more effectively than it had been to that point. So what I knew I was good at was selling Sendoso. And what I knew I didn't have experience with was, was managing a team. Um, but I knew I had kind of a great team there as a starting point, people that were, were great sellers and that I could help them sell more Sendoso. So the first thing I did actually was I enrolled in a sales training program. Um, I did it through a guy named Matt Cameron. You guys might have heard of. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a good friend of ours. Absolutely. Shout out to Matt okay. in San Diego. Um, he moved. He's in Vegas now. Oh, moved. Okay. What was, yeah. what was, the, uh, what was the, the training? Was it a leadership training, sales management training? Frontline sales management. So that was invaluable. And it was just a two-day boot camp and left with like pages of notes um, and kind of had a, a playbook that I felt comfortable going, going to execute with everything from defining our sales process, um, to how to operate one-on-ones and set expectations within a team, just kind of tactical stuff. And that's been, you know, hands down the part that's still the most of a work in progress for me is just the dynamic of managing a team and, and what's, the hardest, what's the hardest part for you still managing a team? Um, I mean, it's, it's tough every day. Uh, the hardest part is understanding that everyone responds differently to different management skills and everyone kind of needs something different. Yeah. So one thing that I took away from that frontline course was to, to basically give your team a description of how you operate. So they understand that from you. Cause I think you need to realize that that's going both ways in terms of you're trying to figure out how, you know, five, eight, 10, 20 people, um, respond to coaching you know, do they prefer direct feedback? Do they like what motivates them? Um, so I handed that to my team on the, on their first days. And one thing I intend to, that I aim to understand from them is what, what does this version of you look like? Right. It's called like a me manual. That's what Matt calls it. So I give them my me manual and I ask them sort of what, how do you want to be coached? What makes you more effective? What, how can I help? Um, and that's an ongoing process. Yeah. What advice do you give them about working with you, right? Aside from asking them, right? I love this me manual thing and, and Matt's a genius at this stuff. So yeah. props to him. Um, what kind of advice do you give those people? Like what, what's it like to work for Nick? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I try to be as honest as possible in it. Um, I kind of apologize up front in, in many ways. I'll say like, you know, I, I like to, I like to joke around. I like to have a good time. Um, I promise if I ever cross a line, like, please let me know and I'll, and I'll apologize for that. Um, I think that you, the first line in it actually is, is, you know, I, I believe Sendosa will be a massively successful company and, um, I need you to believe that too. And I think that coming to work every day should be fun. And if at any point that's not the case, you need to come to me right away so that we can figure out 
what's going on and help adjust for that. Um, that's, I think, one of the biggest things. And attitude is something that I highlighted in a lot and something that I always am interviewing for. Like, sort of the two things I interview for are attitude and aptitude, I'd say, loosely. Um, and so in that manual, I, I express that startups are hard. Sendoso will be hard. Um, but I need you to bring a positive attitude to work. And I understand there's times that are going to be hard and where that gets tricky. Um, you're going to lose a deal. There's going to be, you know, gaps in processes and stuff gets frustrating. But I think that positivity is a force multiplier and I think negativity can be toxic. And I've seen that go wrong at startups where the negativity starts to sort of sure. feed itself. <clears throat> yeah. How are you, how are you testing and screening for aptitude through your recruiting process? <clears throat> everybody, I think everybody has a little bit of a different spin and, and a, and a take on this. I'm curious how, how you, um, solve for that. Yeah, it's a definitely a tough one, but one thing I like to do is give the candidate a real challenge that we're running into and under, and see how they analyze it and break it down. So Can I'll say something. Cool? Yeah, so I'll say something really tactical like, uh, okay, so for Sendoso, for example, our sales cycle, to answer your earlier question, our sales cycle is about is 90 days. Our average deal size is $24,000. So, and there's a lot of SMB. My team's is higher than 24 because the SMB team drags that average down. But I'll give the, the candidate basically an outline and I'll say, okay, so our first call is a demo. Um, from there, you'll aim to validate the tech that it'll integrate with their systems and the business, right? That there's an ROI justification. One of the things that we struggle with is our time between our meetings, right? So the time between either our first call and our second call, our second call, or third call, our average time between meetings, if you analyze across our entire pipe is about 20 days, which is way too long. Mm -hmm. There's obviously um, outliers that are dragging that up, but still as an average, that's far too long. So I'll say, what would you, how would you reduce that? And it's really about understanding what, where, what questions they ask and how they dig in. And do I see sort of like the wheels turning in terms of ways to improve that? And it's like, okay, so have you guys tried this or are you doing that? Or do you think that it's because you're not selling to power or you don't have a strong enough champion or are you validating the business need? And it's really like how tactical do they get? Um, I don't so much even care about the answer. It's really just like how much are they getting excited about solving it almost. What's a bad answer there? Like just, you know, I don't not necessarily <laughs> give away, but like, but that'll educate people to go, Oh, I shouldn't say those kinds of things. Right. Like I think a lot of times people go into these interviews and they run into people who are really smart like you and, and they don't understand. Right. Um, what would be a bad answer? Well, I had one person say they would go for the close on the first call. That wasn't the best answer. Right. That'll speed up the sales cycle. It'll, yeah. it'll work or it'll die right away. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then uh, that, that was obviously an interesting one. And then I think people who look for almost like a cheap out on it where they're like, well, have, why don't you offer a free trial? And it's like, okay. Well, you don't think we've considered the, that kind of stuff. And like, that's clearly not part of this right now. So it's like, okay, I understand why you're saying that, but, that's you're just looking for kind of a backdoor exit on this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the best answer you've ever gotten. What's the best answer? And it'd be cool because if someone ever listens to this and uses it, now you'll know. 
right? They have done really good research if they listen to this podcast before interviewing with you. What's been some of the better answers? So I think the better answers become a conversation actually. And it's really about understanding it's, it's the best questions and saying, okay, well, why, why do you think there's that gap between two and three? Or what are your, are your bestsellers noticing that there isn't as much time? It's like, oh, well, yeah, our bestsellers are actually able to, are performing better than the average on that. It's like, okay, what do they do differently on that piece right there, right? So when they do discovery on your process, that's what you're kind of looking for, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's a great way. more about discovery into our own process, which then tells you that they know how to do some kind of discovery in a sales process in general. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Cool. What are, what are some of the adjustments that you and your team are having to make given, you know, the the lockdown or quarantine, whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, I think everybody's asking those kind of questions right now. I'm looking for, for guidance and mm-hmm. nobody, nobody has a playbook for this. Right. So, so what, what have, what have you done to try to, you know, keep your team's morale and, and team's performance up? Can you talk to us about some of these adjustments? Yeah. So I'll, I'll touch on sort of like in terms of our, our team and our, uh, and management, and then I'll touch on the, the sales process. Um, in terms of team, one thing that we're doing is every morning we all get on a zoom at eight 30 and we did this wrong the first week where we basically ended up having management talk at the team for 25 minutes. And it yeah. was just incredibly boring. And we were saying the same stuff over and over again. And it was just groundhog day. You know, this is the number, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So what we did to, to kind of reduce the monotony there was starting at the beginning of last week, it's, there is an AE that owns the meeting every week, every day. And then there's a manager who supports that. And then our head of sales ops, Alex, has five minutes where he'll review what the data has been saying day over day. So it starts with the AE doing uh, work from home cribs. So the AE will show us some aspect of their work from home setup or their house or something that's kind of unique to them. Um, our, one of our account managers, Steve, did a, gave a demo to us on how he makes his morning smoothie. He's a big workout guy, walked us through the whole smoothie. Um, nice. We so have when, when it's, you're, you're, I've heard through the rumor mill that you're like a pretty big on keeping your hair put together and like really fancy. Oh, okay. Kyle, Kyle told you to give me this. Yeah. All right. So, so we got, we got to put him and Scott Barker on there together. So when, when it's your turn, you're going to give everybody like haircutting tips and stuff, right? Since they can't go to the barber. Better yet, um, get Scott Barker to come on as a guest. Yeah, <laughs> from Sales Hacker because the two of you could do a whole feel, right? Yeah, Scott and I. Scott and I did a webinar a couple of weeks ago. There was it was a lot of hair in one uh, in one call. <laughs> um, that's good. Yeah, Cal, if you're listening, to this you're fired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we want you to turn around and tell us some stuff about Kyle. Like, I know. In fact, we may have information about Kyle that yeah, you may we'll, not know. We'll give him that. We'll 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 give you insider information afterwards. So yeah, you're, I know. You're changing up the the meetings a little bit, you know, the the content of them, trying to make yeah. them more more fun, more personal things like that. What about the actual tactical selling strategy? So I mean, the tough part with the strategy thing is is to your point. There's there's no playbook here. So the, the biggest thing that I'm echoing to my team is 
let's let's sort of learn together on this because the last thing I'm going to do is pretend to to you all that I know how to sell through this. I don't, and no one does. Um, so that's been well, one I thing. Love that, that, I love that answer, by the way. I think that's the correct answer for everyone. Yeah, and, and I mean, credit to to our CRO Sam on this stuff too. I mean, he he sold through 08, and he's kind of said like, this isn't not the same, obviously, but one way that we kind of got through that was just recognizing that it was unprecedented and just having that be your start from here moment is there's no playbook. Um, and so the one thing that we can encourage and, and make sure our team is doing is just being human. And that's one thing that's really natural for us because our, it's part of our sales process already is to encourage and challenge our customers to look at the way they interact with their prospects, their customers and say like, how human are you really being? Are you connecting beyond your hope all is well, you know, Gmail? And are you actually extending that, you know, that sentiment with anything that's above and beyond in any way? So a lot of what we're doing right now is, is like, we'll, we'll use our own product, eat our own dog food and, and even in emails, just um, we're, we're stopping having asks, which is, I think is super, super counterintuitive to, to sales. Yeah. And at least, you know, I had my head banged against the wall for, for many years that you always have an ask at the end of, a, of an email right. or right. any pitch. <clears throat> So um, shifting towards much more just give, 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 serve, 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 right? Right. And I think part of the theory there is, you know, I think there's, there, I mean, there are companies that are pausing spend. And we talked about this a little bit, Scott, with the uncertainty. But it, at the end of the day, it's, it's driven by the uncertainty. That's sort of why there's anything that's frozen right now, whether it's, you know, spending or hiring or whoever you are. Um, and at, cert, at some point, that will end. We, we will know when this is over, whether it just sort of happens and it's all over, it's in two months or six months, and there's going to be companies that still have to go sell their product, right? And they still kind of have to go get it done. And they're going to have to, you know, pick their head up and say, what does this look like now? And they're going to remember how people made them feel during that time. They're not going to remember the sales rep that, or they'll negatively remember the sales rep that was really pushy and was worried about his his commission check in the middle of April while you had the kids at home and you're trying to figure out what to do. I mean, no one wants to get shoved into a sales process at that point, but everyone is very open right now to understanding and learning and taking meetings. Um, and I think the wrong way to handle that is to say, you know, Hey, I, okay, I need this signed by the end of April when that's just totally unfair. People don't know if they can even do that. So I think leading with empathy uh, and, and just kind of being, being a human and, and leaving people with a, a good feeling about how that interaction went is going to compound down the road. When do you think you'll start to see, because you're on the front lines a lot more than I am, mm -hmm. when do you think you'll start to see a brighter light? Like, do you guys look at it? Like, I'm curious, maybe even at the management level, do you guys sit down and have a, co a conversation that says, hey, is anybody feeling like things are moving or is everybody just looking at the data right now to help make that decision? Like, I'm, I'm curious as to how management is trying to view this, right? Because you certainly don't want to turn on the spigot, right? You don't want to start to flood people with bullshit. But, um, and I like the slow drip campaign, right? Like the slow personalized stuff, but can you guys even get vision to that yet? Or is it like, we, we, we just don't see it yet, Richard. We, we've never even talked about it or anything. I mean, I know it's something that's being talked about uh, every day. I don't think that we know enough from 
how the data, how the numbers are moving through the funnel yet, right? Like we only have, let's say three, four weeks of, of COVID data points to look at. So what we do know is in the past two weeks, we've had more top of funnel than average. What we don't know is how those are moving through the funnel compared to our pre-COVID pipeline. What is that? Yes, I love that. I love that you're saying, hey, we have pre-COVID data points or, or post-COVID data points or three weeks into it. What are COVID data points in your mind? Well, I mean, I think you just draw a line in the sand, right? And you look at all your data before and after a certain date. And it's like, okay, we know that stuff's moving from you know stage one to stage two. We have this much stage one pipeline. It's moving on average this quickly. And so you almost need to split the data in half. And look at it before and after to understand how it's behaving differently. Um, but we, we, I mean, our credit to our product and engineering teams too, we're a little bit unique where we've been able to kind of, I don't want to say capitalize on this, but I'll say innovate for our customers um, to make sure that they have some features to, to leverage throughout this. Like and if you're going to send someone a swag bag, it, it'll send them an email so they can confirm what address they want to receive it at, for example. So, and we put out some webinars that have had great traffic. So people are definitely looking for unique ways through this to connect with their prospects and their customers and their employees. And I think that's been a bit of a forcing function for us, yeah. at least the top of the funnel. But it, we're, it still remains to be seen how that, if that's going to behave differently, my assumption is yes, as it moves through the funnel. I love, I love what you said about drawing a line in the sand because when I do training with people, you know, I always ask about baselines and I say, look, you need to, define what's happened but the day before up until the day before Richard showed up and then you got to measure you know 30 and 60 days out what happens after and more importantly what happens the first two or three days to see if it's being implemented like that's mm -hmm. it's the same process right like you're just applying it in a different way so I'm, I'm the reason I'm bringing that up is that it's not um it's not like it's earth shattering or anything but it's kind of like wait a minute we do know how to solve this kind of a problem if we put a formula to it right like mm -hmm just like anything else. So in some ways it's hard because we don't know what the playbook is in other ways. Hey, wait a minute. There's something we do know how to do and how do we adjust that for this particular situation? Yeah. What are, what are you guys seeing? And I'm trying to talk to obviously any, any kind of friends and other, other sales leaders in terms of how they're, how they're managing to this. And I think one piece of that is the sort of just the human management aspect of like, how do you kind of temper how your team is feeling and make sure that they feel obviously secure and, and safe through this and, and still as confident sellers. Like, do you, are you guys hearing anything on that side or is there any advice that you'd give there? <clears throat> For me, there's been three camps, if you will. And yeah. the, fir the first camp and the one that I think is the right one personally is the camp that you're in and everything that you described in terms of the adjustments and changes that uh, you guys are making. Then there's the camp that is like, we need to all work 9,000 times harder than we ever have before. And, you know, there's it's seven days a week now, not five days a week. And it's 15 hour days, not eight hour days kind of thing. Um, and then there's the camp who's just like business as usual in a way. And just like, you know, we, we have a job to do. We're just going to keep doing our job. And, um, you know, it's all about making the right number of calls and the math will just continue to, to shake out. So um, I don't know if Rich, Richard agrees or not, but I, I'm what I've noticed is that I think most people fall into one of those three buckets right now. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I'm a little more tactical. Scott's, this is, I think that's why Scott and I are good business partners. In a lot of ways I get very tactical and Scott can see the strategy and we can merge stuff together. 
So for me, I, what you, the question you asked is, you know, how do you keep the team motivated? How do you keep them going? Right. So for me, that comes down to, and I'm a big advocate about mental health. So that means um, I even wrote something the other day that I don't know that the work hour can be anything more than about nine to three thirty, Right. And if you've got kids and you're working from home, it's like, seriously, like that's, that that's the best you can do. And yeah, if, if someone's willing to do something off hours, that's fine. Um, nine to three thirty also means really more like six and a half hours total. So, you know, some people may, I know a lot of people who have kids and it's like from seven to nine 30 at night, they're doing work because that's just when it fits. So a massive amount of flexibility. I think you need to say it out loud. I think you can say it to your team and say, look, we think it should be about this much. If you want to do more, do more. Um, we do need to get these things done. You do have to create accountability. Um, tell us how you want to operate. Right? So Nick, maybe reverse engineer, um, the, what is it? The me book that, that you talked about? Yeah. The me manual, the me manual, maybe all your team needs to go back and write their own me manual and share it with each other so that then everybody can kind of get ideas about how they can do something together. And that, again, that builds a, a work of team, a work of trust, a work of camaraderie, a work of support for each other, uh, problem solving that you don't necessarily have to have all the answers, right? I think it helps build that culture of like what Sendoso is all about, which is about personalization. So I think that's a, a great way to do things. Uh, I'm a big fan and, and I've, I've worked with and trained um, Headspace, you know, the, med mm -hmm. the, the meditation app. Um, in fact, I know the, the, the head of revenue over there is creating stuff for companies to use it. Um, either, either free trial versions for like 30 days or even heavy discounts and stuff like that. So I'm happy to connect you with her if you want to talk to her, if you guys aren't using something like that. I think encouraging people to get outside um, telling people to go make your desk for an hour outside in the sunshine, like little shit like that is the stuff that I see working to help with the team. Um, I do think you could, you can find other game gamification, right? You can do that if you think it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think, uh, having virtual power hours is still pretty cool in the sense of like, you don't all have to be on the zoom, but Hey, everybody from 10 to whatever, we're going to do this. And as soon as something happens, hit it in the Slack channel, because I know at the beginning, you know, you're, you're an in-office guy. You like that buzz. So how do we create that buzz? And again, maybe even turn that back over to the team to say, hey, I want to do something like this. What do you think? Would you guys get into it? Is there another way we can create that energy and buzz for an hour a day? Right? Like, how do we do that? So I think those are – I'm way more tactical, but I agree with Scott um, that, that it's way more about the value-added email. I've been talking about this for a long time that – in, even when this is all over, you should have two or three steps in, in a sequence or cadence that, that, have, that ask for nothing in return. Like, hey, here's an article. Hey, did you know this? Hey, did you know that? Right? Um, you yourself could write something as a, as a leader to say, hey, I just I'm a big buzz in the room buzz guy. And here are the six things I had to adjust to as a leader. And just get your team to send that out. Say, hey, our manager put this together. Thought you and your manager would like it. Um, I, I think stuff like that is super, super helpful and, crit and critical right now. So, yeah, that, that's great. I love how you guys hit on the kind of getting Scott the the business and the sales process perspective, and then some of the the tactical team stuff from you. That's super helpful. Yeah, that's um, the only reason we have a successful podcast. Scott just I love it. I'm the one who implements them all. <laughs> it's great. I'll I'll give you I'll give you another idea. One thing that we're doing with a ton of success right now is sort of the we'll kind of give a gift that 
is in itself a, a gift for the other for the recipient to give. So one thing we'll do is we'll send people a uh, $20 digital gift that lets them pick to either make a donation to a charity at this time, or they can use uh, the $20 to Uber Eats. And then the cool thing there is Uber Eats uh, waive delivery fee from local restaurants who are obviously hurting right now. And yeah. so you can say, hey, I wanted to kind of support your local and, and order you lunch or feel free to donate this to your favorite charity. Meals on Wheels is doing great stuff right now, um, et cetera. What do you, what do you just out of curiosity, because you're in this sort of giving space, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe you have a list, maybe you don't, but who are the people, if people do want to make a donation, even if it's through Sendoso or just on their own, like let's give some love back to the world. What are the places you guys are seeing doing good things? Yeah. I mean, I think the, I'm, I don't want to go chew out on a limb here. <laughs> I mean, the Red Cross, I think is always a safe bet, right? And then there's, yeah. there's, uh, I know Feeding America is doing great stuff. Meals on Wheels is doing great stuff. ASPCA, if you're, if you're passionate about animals, those are kind of the ones that we see are most popular, I'll say. Um, but there's, there's a ton of, of uh, I know there's one out there that we're really trying to get on the platform right now um, that's making sure that the kids would be getting lunches at school are still getting lunch. And I can't, the name is escaping me right now. Um, yeah. the, the challenge with, for us, creating a process around some of these charities that are obviously doing a great job and moving fast to mm-hmm. fill the gaps right now is they might not have the infrastructure to provide large-scale digital gifts. So we Got have it. to kind of find workarounds and get creative there, but it's something that we're always working on. Definitely. Well, that's great. <clears throat> well, thanks for uh, spending some time with us here, Nick. We usually try to wrap the show up by offering uh, to help our guests in any way and answer any questions that you might have. Is there anything that you can think of that uh, Richard or I or both of us can do to help you and support the team? Uh, keep doing what you're doing, guys. I'll, I'll actually turn that back around on on our on the audience here and say if if there's anyone who's uh, in an unfortunate circumstance and is uh, you know laid off or knows someone who's laid off, I'm happy to do whatever I can to try to help that person at this time. Um, I have connections at Bets Recruiting. I know you guys know Carolyn really well, and a friend of mine, Ian, started a company called The Cannon Project, which is helping um, entry level sales. So I'd say kind of. For, for all three of us, if we can help anyone in the yeah. audience um, that's without work, get get back on their feet. I'd love to. Are, are you guys hiring? Sendos is hiring, yeah. Okay. And where? What cities? We are hiring in Arizona and in uh, San Francisco. But Arizona's not a city. You must have gone to ASU. <laughs> what city? <laughs> you didn't Scott go to college Sale. either, did you, Nick? Yeah, but I guess I didn't, huh? Boston College education right there. Jeez. Well, you know, flying to Phoenix, you drive to Scottsdale. <laughs> it's just because no one considers Tucson a city, Richard. Yeah. That's okay. It. I'm okay it's with that. assumed that everybody goes to Tempe, Scottsdale, Phoenix. <laughs> I'm happy to let the losers think that. That's okay. All right, man. We, hey, we Nick, thanks so much, buddy. And uh, we'll do everything Thank you guys. to help everybody out there as well. So. Thank you, guys. This is fun. Take care. Bye.